So thanks for coming back for our last night of our mission. Once again, I'm very grateful to Father Joe Palermo for allowing me and inviting me to come into the parish to be able to present to you. So hopefully, those who've been here for both of the nights, or maybe just one of the nights, that you are a little bit more hopeful that things aren't as bad as you hear about the younger generation, society, and the church. And so what I want to do is, after already having looked at, as we saw, let me pull up my little remote control here, um, we've already seen the first two things that are necessary to be seen, and how we can, our adults can be that, that mediate the vision of the Father to establish young people in their identity. The need to belong and form community, particularly within the church. And so tonight we're going to end on the last one, to be chosen, to be special, to be singled out as it were. And so what I'm going to do is I have a fair amount of stories to to present uh, today. um, And most of the slides come towards the end of the presentation. Sort of establishing some spirituality or theology before, probably most complex that I've given so far over the course of our time together, basically trying to build on what we've learned already. What do I mean by that? In order to see this need that we have, particularly young people have, to be chosen, you've got to situate it in relation to what we talked about last night. The, the need to belong. We all have that need to belong, to be part of something bigger, a relationship, community, to transcend the I with an encounter with the thou. Not that, that, that our identity disappears. We maintain our identity as individual persons, but we are seen as a part of a greater whole community, a web of relations and relationships. And in doing so, we are affirmed that we are loved and lovable, and we should become stronger in our core identity as beloved sons and beloved daughters and as members of Christ's body, the church. But along with that desire to belong to a greater whole, we have within that a desire to be special. A desire to be unique, a desire to be chosen. I see this all the time when talking to people who sometimes struggle with loneliness, high school students or college students. I want to be someone's someone. I want to be that special person that they love, that they reach out to, that they have a relationship with us. To sort of be loved in a very special and unique way. Not necessarily loved more than others, but to be singled out, to be chosen, to be loved intently. Now, of course, our desire for this can be manifested in some bad ways, attention-seeking behavior. But at the heart of this desire to be special, the desire to be chosen amongst the crowd to be looked at, to be said, you are the one that I choose. To be like Cinderella, everybody wants that, is something that is a good desire. But in a real way, I think, as I was reflecting on it, 
this last point can be chosen is a synthesis of the other two. I see you, and you belong to me. In relationship, a very unique relationship with the other person. And so I, though keeping this in mind, want to make a further connection to last night's talk on belonging. And this is the part that I think may get a bit theological, so hopefully I'll be able to convey it accurately. In a Catholic campus ministry, or in any other sort of community, there is a sense of belonging, hopefully a sense of true community. People aren't just there to come to Mass or to fulfill their obligation. They're part of a larger body, the whole. But what happens is, as I mentioned towards the end of our time together last night, that all good things must come to an end. Eventually in college, unlike let's say in a parish, you're going to graduate. Maybe four years, it may be five years, for some people it could be seven years. But you've got to go on to the next stage of life. Now granted, here in the parish, some of you may move, some of you may go to another area of the state, and so you are no longer a part of this community. But in general, hey, you're here for the long haul. But in college, you know you're only going to be there for a certain period of time. You've got to move on. You're going to start your career. You're going to find your purpose in life. You may go to grad school or whatever it is. But one of the things that we try to emphasize is that, yes, in a certain sense, you are moving on, but you always have a home here. It's always wonderful for people to come back, and in fact, it's sort of written into universities. Homecoming is the time for people to come back, to be connected with their university. And I saw this all the time. People would come back to the university and to wisdom and say, Father, we met here, or the best times of my life were here. We studied here. We goofed off here. I'm so happy to have people come back and tell me their stories. But the difference is, when you leave a Catholic campus ministry, yes, you are graduating and going out into the world, but if we've done our job properly, If we've formed you, if we've created you into a disciple, we are sending you out on mission. We want you to go and spread the faith. I want you to go and make a change. You can report back to me every once in a while, but you've got to go. One of the things that that focus, as we've been talking about that group that works with Catholic college campuses, they have this model called win, build, sin. I gotta win you, win you over. I gotta see you. I gotta build you up and form you, and it's gonna be done in community. But I'm gonna send you out because I need you to go make disciples of all nations. You have a mission. You have something that you are tasked to do. And where do we get this from? We get it from Jesus. Jesus is the one who chose the apostles. He lived in community, he formed them, he loved them, but eventually said, I need you to go out and baptize all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so for college students, again, you're not just there to eat my pizza. You're not just there to hang out and take up space. 
You're there to be formed. And after you are formed, I am sending you out on mission to go and to spread the gospel, to see others, to form your own community, and to love others. It's sort of expression of the Mass. You ever think about that? At the end of Mass, what does the priest or the deacon say? The Mass is over. Go in peace. Go! Ite Misa Est. Misa, which is connected to sin. I'm sending you out. Go love others and give yourself to others as Jesus gave himself to you in the Mass. And so there, there's, a, there's a purpose. There's a direction that people, after they leave... Catholic campus ministry hopefully have in their lives. And so it's been so wonderful over the years to keep in contact with so many of these students who are living mission. Many of them joyfully doing it by serving in their parish, or as we saw last night with Annie, continuously working in a Catholic campus ministry. Others in the world and their different careers and whatever state of life they find themselves in. But the fundamental truth is, though, not only have I sent you out, but ultimately as Christ has sent you out on a mission. That we each, through our baptism and then our confirmation, have been given a mission. A role to play in the drama of the church. So in a certain sense, it's like James Bond or the, 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 what is that other movie? The Mission Impossible. This is the mission you have been chosen for. This is the role you're going to play. You can either accept it or you can choose not to accept it. And so you, if you look at sort of the etymology, mission is to be sent But before you're sent on a mission, you're chosen for that mission. And the word that we use is election. When I elect someone, I am choosing the president. I am choosing my representatives. And so as Christians, and here's sort of where it comes together, we are chosen, election, in Christ to share in his mission to redeem the world. And all I was doing as an individual at Catholic Campus Ministry is saying, I am preparing you for that mission. Trying to give you the tools that you need, the education, the formation that you have, so that you can go out and fulfill that mission. I'm giving you, I'm I'm like like Q on uh, James Bond. Here are the little tools you need. Here's your Aston Martin. Here's the phone in your shoe. Whatever it is. I'm equipping you for mission. But that's the thing. It's a brilliant thing that we don't think about. We all have a mission that has been given to us. And particularly for Catholics at Confirmation, we receive those spiritual gifts that we need to live that mission out. And so our formation is coming to be prepared to live out lifelong mission. So we have election, which means you're chosen. B, you were chosen for mission. You have a purpose in this world. All of us do. It's a sharing Christ one mission. But there's a third word. And that's the one that I really, in a certain sense, want to focus more on today. And that is the way that we live our mission out. 
And that is the word that we hear a lot, and that is the word vocation. What is your vocation in life? We're going to understand this word. Election, mission, vocation. What is a vocation? Now, the Latin word that this comes from is a vocare. The same word that we have to vocalize. It means to call. A vocation is a calling. And this word, to be called, is one used almost obnoxiously amongst young people today. Often completely and totally out of its proper context. I think God is calling me to read this book. I think God is calling me to go on this mission. Or I don't think God wants me to date this person. It could be, but, but it's kind of like God is micromanaging your life. He is not interested in doing that. He's not calling you to every little thing. He gives you freedom to make your choice. But it's also not the traditional way that we understand vocation or calling within the church. So there's a sort of a proper theological context, as much as we may say, I felt the Lord call me to give this mission. Well, I, I felt Father call me to give this mission. Hopefully God wanted me to do it. I'm here at least acting like he did. But what do we as Catholics generally mean when we talk about vocation? I'm going to look at it in two ways. The first is the overarching vocation to holiness. All of us, because of our baptism in Jesus Christ, are called to holiness. This is the emphasis of the Second Vatican Council in the 60s. The universal call to holiness. It's not just priests who are called to be holy. It's not just nuns who are called to be holy. We all are. But we are going to live out holiness differently. The way that a priest lives out his holiness is different than the way that a monk lives out his holiness. The way that a monk lives out his holiness is a lot different than the way that a married couple with three young kids lives out their holiness. Even though sometimes a married couple with three young kids probably wish they could be monks sometimes. Be a little quieter. But the fact of the matter is we all have different ways of living it out and it's conditioned on our other vocation. The call to a specific state of life. The way we're going to live out that holiness, the way we're going to live out our mission in the world. And so we can make all kinds of distinctions, but I'm going to basically say that there are three different quote-unquote vocations. Three different states of life. And I think I have a slide for it. If the slide's going to work. There we go. Marriage as a vocation. And these are all signs of hope. We're going to see why they're signs of hope. Marriage as a vocation. Priesthood and religious or consecrated life. There are different ways of living it out. I'm, I'm making a reduction here. But these are the vocations, the states of life that we live in the world. So we've got a few priests in here who are living out the priestly state of life. We have a lot of married couples, and we also have someone living consecrated life. Even though it's a unique form of consecrated life, and we're going to embarrass her, because it's Claire Gallagher right there, who is a consecrated virgin. 
She is aware of habit, but she is living a consecrated life in the world. She's not getting married, but she is a bride of Christ. And so we've got all the different representations of the different states of life here. They're all vocations. But this idea of vocation of the call to holiness and the idea of vocation is one's specific state of life do connect to being chosen. Because before you can respond to the call, you have to be chosen. Chosen. And so a lot of the work that I did for college students they were at a very particular crossroads in life because they had to dis- they were pursuing holiness hopefully but within that pursuing holiness they were trying to find out what is God calling me to what state of life after I leave college does the Lord want me to live in now remember state of life is different than a career This is not, we're not discerning, a career is not a vocation. Being a teacher is a career. Being a garbage man is a career. Being a doctor is a career. It may feel like a vocation that God's calling you to, but we're not talking about it within the sign of vocation in general. And so, like the apostles, Jesus called them. I'm calling you to be priests. But before he did that, he had to choose them. Spending nights in prayer, saying, Heavenly Father, who do you want? Who should I choose to come follow me? So we're chosen by the Lord. We're called by the Lord. In a certain sense, we are pursued by him. So a lot of the the work that I did, the vast majority of the work that I did, was where I worked and staff work to help young people discern their vocation, where the Lord had chosen them to be, what he had called them or how he called them to live it out, to discern of one of these general three states of life. And I did it primarily by doing lots of spiritual direction. People who came to me wanting to grow in holiness but also, ultimately, Father, i got to figure out what God wants me to do with my life. Should I get married? Should I become a priest? Should I become a sister? And over the years, I accompanied and directed hundreds of young people. And many of them went into these different states of life. In fact, I directed all of those people some degree in those pictures right there. In fact, most of the people you're going to see I worked with or accompanied. And so I learned a lot about how to do this. And that's kind of what I want to share. Some stories, but also to be able to give some hints of maybe how you can, as parents and grandparents, not necessarily as spiritual directors, but help to plant the seeds and guide the young people in your life to discern their own vocation. And I put this here. There are signs of great hope. As much as yes, young people sometimes are not getting married. There are a lot that are. I'm flying to Ohio this weekend to do a wedding. 
We're going to see young people are responding to the priesthood, and they are responding to religious life. You may not see it, and maybe we'd love to have a lot more respond, but it's not like it's totally dried up. And I think there are certain best practices that we can do to help us better understand and encourage vocations. But before it starts, before we talk about discerning a vocation, regardless of whatever we try to discern, if you are serious as a young person about seeing what the Lord wants you to do with your life, you're going to have to be serious about listening to his call and experiencing the fact that he has chosen you. So a lot of the times I'd work with college students and I'd hear it in the confessional or out of the confessional. So you're graduating in a, in a few months. Yeah, well, what are you going to do once you graduate? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get my job as an engineer or I'm going to start teaching or I'm going to get married or whatever. And sometimes if it was someone I really didn't know or if I didn't know and I just wanted to prod on a little bit, I'd ask, well, what does God want you to do with your life? And you know what the typical response was? Uh, they never considered it. They never thought about it. No idea whatsoever what God wants to do with their life. They just figured, well, because I want to become a lawyer, that's what God wants me to do. And so part of it was, no. How do you hear what God is calling you to do? you got to pray. And so regardless of what vocation it is, if the vocation to holiness is foundational, we have got to have lives of prayer. And so outside of doing spiritual direction or within that, my main part is we've got to learn how to pray. We've got to learn to hear the Lord's voice, experiencing him choosing us. But the reality is, for, most, for college students and for a lot of older people, and when I give my missions on prayer, I say this, people don't really pray. They say a bunch of prayers, they recite all their stuff, and I'm not saying that's bad, but it's not praying with the heart. It's just saying a bunch of words, and I'm sure the Lord listens, but it's not a dialogue. I'm not dialoguing with you if I read the script every time I talk to you. There's got to be some spontaneity. There's got to be praying with the heart. And so what I did is once I saw that I began working with young people, and let's say we're going to learn what prayer really is at its heart. And I want you to start actually praying. I can't teach you how to do it. I can tell you what it is. But once you start doing it, Whoa, that's when things begin to change. When they begin to really hear the Lord's voice. When they detect his presence. When they achieve this deeper peace. They're seen sometimes directly of how the Father loves them. But if you're not praying, you're not going to know. All you're doing is checking off the boxes and going through the motions. But if you're praying, you're going to be open to that dialogue. And so what I saw is I try to teach people what prayer is. Then they something different happened. It kind of overcame their perfectionist tendencies. We talked about that desire to be perfect. Well, I have to be perfect in my prayer or God's not going to listen to me. 
I can't let my mind go any distraction at all or I have to start my rosary again. No, you need some OCD medicine is what you need. No, God is not there expecting you to be perfect. He's not judging you according to how well you say it. I gotta perform, I gotta be really, really holy. I gotta do five rosaries today to show how strong I am at praying. No, not at all. You're not gonna win God's attention. He's already paying attention to you. He's got nothing better to do. Prayer is not a technique that you have to master. And so what I try to do is teach people what the essence of prayer is. Move them from saying prayers to actually praying. Because once you do, then you can hear the call and respond. And so there are all kinds of, I do a lot of retreats on prayer and and trying to teach people to pray. And particularly young people who come in with this attitude of perfectionism. And there's so many wonderful quotes about what prayer is, but I'm going to give you probably my favorite. And surprise, surprise, it's Father John Philippe. Listen to what he says. To pray is to spend time freely with God for the joy of being together. Hanging out with God. Wasting time with the Lord. It is to love because giving one's time means giving one's life. We talked about that already. Love doesn't consist first of doing something for another, but in being present for him or for her. Prayer teaches us to be present to God with a simple, loving attention. That's all it is. You can pray your rosary, you can do your novenas, but if you don't know just how to be present to the Lord and receive from Him, it's not going to really matter. The Lord will still listen to you, but you are going to become very, very anxious and very, very nervous. Jesus told the apostles, you've been out working all day. Come away and rest for a while. You don't need to produce anything for the Lord. You're there to receive. You're not there so much to do as to be present. And it's not so much for you, it's for Him. He loves seeing us. He's waiting for us, even for five minutes. It's like seeing a friend that you really, really love. Even if you're going to see him for five minutes a day, you're pretty excited. Jesus is excited to see you, particularly when you come to Mass. That's what ought to motivate our prayer lives, but unfortunately, it doesn't a lot of the time. And if all it is is pure external obligation, then not only is your prayer life or your spiritual life going to be pretty miserable, you're not going to respond to the vocation. Because the response to a vocation ultimately has to be a response of love. But what I would see is, is these young people all of a sudden shed their false ideas of what prayer is. They'd still say things and be present and, and talk to the Lord. But they could rest in his presence. That's when God can start doing things in their life. They can be receptive. Then all of a sudden a person who was not open to a vocation of the priesthood of religious life would come to my office and say, Father, I'm thinking about being a sister. And I said, well, I knew that. Well, how did you know it? Because I've been seeing you in the chapel at 6 a.m. every morning. The Lord's got to be doing something in your life. And you look remotely peaceful. Now, granted, at 6 a.m. you maybe have a sleep. But still, it's the Lord prompting and guiding. But the problem is, is the Lord would begin to move in our lives. We think, well, is the Lord calling me? 
What's going on? What should I do? What path should I take? And that's where one of the principles that's so important is we cannot discern alone. You're going to, believe me, you're going to talk yourself out of it. You're going to get it wrong. You know the passage of the Old Testament when Samuel is sleeping and hears the Lord's voice, but he thinks it's Eli, and he goes and says, Eli, did you call me? And the old priest says, no, go back to bed. Samuel hears it again, goes back to Eli, did you call me? No, go back to bed. You're bothering me. I'm an old man. I need my sleep. Finally hears the voice the third time and then comes back to Eli, and Eli says, oh, it must be the Lord. Samuel, next time you hear his voice, say, here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel did not try to figure it out by himself. He had someone to help him. Communion, relationship. People come to me, Father, I discern my vocation in life. Well, did you talk to me about it? No, the Lord just told me to retreat. Nope, get back to the drawing board. Maybe you were right, but you can't really be sure. There's got to be dialogue, particularly if it's a priesthood or religious life because it's a calling within the context of the church. So what I want to do is sort of establish the basis we've got to be praying. There has to be a spiritual life. has to be a spiritual life. But what are some of the things that I've learned in helping young people discern a vocation in life, regardless of what the vocation is? So I've given a number of talks on this. I'm going to give you some very basic, essential principles. And these are the first, most important ones, and they're like doing math problems. You could work your complicated math problem all that you want, but if you don't have the right formula, you're going to get the wrong answer. And a lot of the times I think people have the wrong formulas, and the first one they get wrong is this. And this is something that is so commonsensical, but a lot of people don't know it. Marriage is a vocation. It is a vocation, a calling. But unlike priesthood and religious life, it is a natural vocation. A vocation that is written into our human natures, into our bodies as man and woman. If you're a man and if you're a woman, you're called to marriage. What does that mean? The Pope is called to marriage. Mother Teresa is called to marriage. I'm called to marriage. Claire's called to marriage. We're all called to marriage because marriage as a vocation is written into our bodies. It is the default vocation. Vocation with a little v. I'm not saying that it's not as important as the other ones. I'm simply talking about a principle for discernment. Christ takes it and raises it to the level of a sacrament, but it's fundamentally a natural reality. You may need to discern who you should marry or when you get married, but you don't need to discern whether you're called to be married. I'm a man, she's a woman, we're called to marriage. Pretty simple. We make this big mystery of it, and we really don't need to. It is a natural vocation. However, priesthood and religious life, a consecrated life, is supernatural. It comes from without you. This is the call that if you have it, that needs to be discerned. But there's the problem. If you are generally called to priesthood or religious life, you're going to feel both attractions. I want to get married. I want to be a priest. I want to be a nun. They are going to coexist with the natural attraction to marriage. 
So in case someone comes in to me, Father, I think I'm called to be a priest, but I don't want to get married. I'm not interested in women. You're not called to be a priest. Sorry, you're not. Because you have to renounce the good of marriage. And you can't renounce something you don't want. If you're running away from marriage because you came from a bad family and you want to be a sister, they're going to turn you away. You have to renounce the good of marriage. And so the person who is genuinely called is going to experience both. It's not like one's going to go away. So the thing is, you've got to separate the, both of them. What is your actual call to marriage that is written into your nature? You have to almost bracket that off and kind of silence it a bit and then really discern if God is calling you. If not, if you pray and you're going to the sacraments, and I saw that for years, people coming to daily mass and praying, never a stirring in their heart for priest or religious life then don't worry about it. Go get married. Go get married. If the Lord wants you, he is going to let you know. This is the right thing to do. You don't need, you can make a good decision of who you get married. Don't marry some loser. You know? But it's not something that really needs to be discerned in the same way. And I found that clears up a lot of confusion. People say, well, if I'm going to be called to the priest of religious life, I'm not going to be interested in marriage. No, you're going to. Guess what? And it's not going away. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to stink. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be a cross. So what I want to do is look at all, keeping that in mind, I want to look at all three of these, but using some concrete examples. So we're going to begin by looking at the sacrament of marriage. Over the course of my time at Wisdom, since 2010, I performed over 150 weddings of UL graduates. I performed a lot more of that, people who were not necessarily UL graduates, but I surely did a lot of them. And I came to find that a lot of spouses that, that are good Catholics met at college. Oh, I met my spouse at college. I met my spouse at Catholic Campus Ministry. I hear that all the time. And as I said, I've done many wisdom weddings over the years. And often I saw them the whole way. When they came in as little nerdy freshmen, and then maybe they dated other people, or they couldn't get a date, and they met each other, and they started dating. The next thing you know, they are engaged. And be able to walk with them the whole entire way, including marriage prep. We had a, a pretty intense, great marriage prep uh, program over wisdom. And the couples that I generally married were ones who were very faithful and prayerful. I generally wouldn't marry you if I didn't know you. Most of the people I married, I knew. And we had a lot of, I don't know if y'all are moved towards couples helping to prepare marriage, but it just was unbelievable. My degree is in marriage and the family, and I have a great passion for working with and forming married couples. Tell them to understand that the beauty of the sacrament of marriage, of being the image of Christ's love for the church. And so I took marriage prep very seriously. In fact, we at least have part of one of our married prep couples back at Wisdom, Lacey right here and her husband, Sam. Oh, look, y'all, y'all did this. Look at that. It's freaking me out here. So we're going to talk about it. Maddie and Ben. So Sal's not here today. They moved to the North Shore, but they helped form. How many couples did y'all work with at Wisdom? Yeah, 20 or 30. So impressive, so important to be able to address the spiritual side, but also the human side. 
And so what I kind of wanted to do is talk a little bit about it and, and, and particularly highlight some of the couples and their stories and to give you a little hope. So here, these are just pictures of some of the couples over the past few years that I've been able to witness uh, weddings for. Always a complete joy. And, I can, and, and the thing is, is each one of them has a story. And each one of them, I began walking with them very, very early on. You know, so then both of them were nerds in high school, freshmen, some of them married people from elsewhere, but it's unbelievable. This couple right here, I married his other two brothers. I had to go to him before the wedding and say, what did I preach at your brother's weddings? I want to make sure I don't preach the same thing at your wedding. Uh, it kind of gets all mixed up in there. And we're going to talk about some of these couples in a little bit. But it is such a great joy to be able to walk with them into that time. So I'm going to tell two stories. The first is the one that we've talked about, Maddie and Ben Boudreaux. So both of them started in 2010 as freshmen when I got there. Maddie was, came from Bill Platt and both super heavily involved in wisdom. Uh, they were in focused Bible studies. They'd come to daily mass. Now, it's interesting. This story's going to take a twist. She had been dating someone before who, I very distinctly remember, gave a phone call and said, we can't date anymore, but I'm going to get to that story in just a few minutes. Her heart was broken, the end of the world, but it wasn't the end of the world. She met Ben a little bit later on, and they have been married now for nine years. I still remember the homily I gave. I talked about wine and the good wine. And then now they have three beautiful children. Look at these sweet kids. Ben is a lecturer of wisdom, and Maddie is one of the campus ministries. And they're campus ministers, they both are involved in marriage ministry. They gave back. And, and to see the way that they were formed, here's them. Look at Ben's got the little early 2010s haircut. He, he, can't, he can't do that anymore. But it's been wonderful to, to be a part of their family, to walk with them over the, the Christmas break. I went and had dinner at their house, and we all watched episodes of Bluey together because the girls love Bluey. They wanted to show me their favorite episodes. But what a great joy to be a part. And, and this is a, a family, a couple I will be friends with. Now, granted, he's an engineer and she's a teacher. They probably won't be buying homes, you know on the, the Florida coast, but I'm going to find someone who will do that for me. But it's just so wonderful, and their kids are so loving and growing up in this Catholic family, and they're working through their stuff, and it's just been so wonderful. A great story, a great success story for giving back. The next story is one that I, I like to tell because I love this couple so much, and it's a really funny story. And this is Maddie and Evan Tatford. So, the, the other two, Ben and Maddie, were total Catholic geeks. Maddie and Evan, not so much. They were in their own way, as we'll see, Maddie in 2014, just before she graduated, was homecoming queen at UL, and Evan was the star uh, tight end. And both wonderful people, beautiful people, and I adore them both. And they had been dating, but they had broken up. 
as often they do, and there was just sort of this acrimony between them, and you know, Evan's a goofball, Maddie doesn't, whatever, all back and forth, back and forth they listen to. So what happened was, it was right before this time in 2013, we had this thing at UL, the, the Spring Alumni Gala. This is a funny story. Spring Alumni Gala, outside, a beautiful day, just like today. And they're, they're honoring alumni, and it's cocktail hour, and it's Easter season. It's time to have a cocktail. I like my little gin and tonic. But that day, I had like two gin and tonics. So I was a little bit more loquacious than I normally am. So I'm walking around, visiting everybody, trying to raise money for the student center, and guess who I stumble upon? Evan's mom and dad. And I know them, but not super, super well. And they said, Father, it's so great to see you. How are you doing? And I said, I'm doing great. Can I tell you something? And they say, sure. I said, it's about your son, Evan. Please tell us something. And as I often will do, even if I haven't had two gin and tonics, I will say things that I potentially regret later. At this point, I said, your son's a stinking idiot. He's one of the dumbest human beings I've ever met in my life. And they look at me like, why? I said, he has the chance to date Maddie Artie, the homecoming queen. There's no reason you don't date her. None whatsoever. He's an idiot. As I'm holding my drink in my hand, and I remember I said, oh, I just made the biggest mistake ever. And then all of a sudden their faces lit up and said, Father, we agree with you totally. Let's have another drink. Because they were like, he's an idiot. You, you do not not think that. You just don't do it. Idiots. So we began to devise the plan to get them back together again. So I said, tell Evan to give me a call. Well, I remember Evan called me and he comes in. I said, chill, chill dude. You need to go and apologize to her and fix it up because you need to marry this woman. You're an idiot if you don't. Well, then it got back to Maddie that I had to drink and talk to the dad, and then the dad, then the Maddie comes in, I'm so mad at you. I said, calm down. So they got back together and started talking, and guess what? Started dating again. And it was so perfect. Everyone knew they were meant to be together. And then she came home with me, and then. Remember, Evan came into my confession before confession and said, Father, as it often happens, I'm going to the chapel to propose to Maddie um, while y'all are having Mass. Will you wait outside for, for us to come and I can, you can bless their, our, our engagement rings? And I said, absolutely. This happened all the time. And so that's me actually blessing their rings. That's me right after, so happy. And then that is us on their wedding day. That's her face and their face me telling the story that I just told you. That's them laughing at the story that I told at their, at their wedding. And so, just the best. And then now, look at that. Evan's a dentist. He works with kids. And there's Maddie. She's a teacher. And look at these beautiful kids. I baptized both of them. It's so awesome. And Maddie also travels and she does speaking. If you ever need someone to come speak to your high school students or young adults, she is an excellent speaker. What a great, what a great story. 
I know this is this. I, I literally didn't know how many to pick. The reason I picked this one is because of the whole telling the parents something because it's a funny story. But it's true. There, I could sit and give you stories about all of these different marriages, and they're trying to do the right thing. Is it easy? No. But literally, I have 150 stories. We could be here all night. Things are not perfect. They struggle just like all of you do. But they're trying to do the right thing. What's also great is by the time they get married, most of them are pretty confident in their identity. We don't, don't really encourage insecure people to get married. They've more or less dealt with their stuff. Not all the time. No one's perfect. They're young. And there have been times like, hey, we have, I'm going to sh- show you another couple that they were, she was engaged. And we said, no, 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 no they ain't going to work. Broke it off. The, the world was coming to an end. But it ended up, father was right. And so was the marriage fair couple that worked with them. So this is marriage. What about priestly and religious vocations? What about that? Now, when it comes to discerning, it's different. But the truth is, and again, I'm not trying to say it's all me, we had, at Our Lady of Wisdom during my time there, tremendous success. Tremendous success. And the past few years, there were 17 guys who had passed through wisdom who were ordained to the priesthood, 18 marking this year, because one of the guys went through wisdom. There are right now, as of the fall of last year, 28, it's actually 27 now, Men and women currently in formation with the Diocese of Religious Community, and over the course of those 12 years, 92 people left to go pursue a vocation. It doesn't mean they were all ordained. It doesn't mean they're all still sisters. But they at least left and, and went. And I think they're going to have about four or five go this year. So that's, we average about seven or eight a year. They would at least go. So I'm not perfect, but I do know what I'm doing. And there is a formula that you can't just repeat, but there are certain things that will help them discern. I'll give you some brief highlights, because I know we're kind of trying to wrap this up a little bit, and i got some other stories to tell. It's different from men and women. But this call, this being chosen for a priest or religious life, is a special vocation. You are particularly chosen by the Lord for this. And there's some universal things that I saw in young men and women who did say yes and respond to a vocation. First, they were always solid in their identity as a son or a daughter. If you're not solid in that, you will not be able to grow into your identity to be a, a father or a mother. You need confidence. And the ones that I saw, once they got that confidence, they were able to respond. If you're deeply insecure, you're not going to be able to say yes. So a lot of direction was trying to get you to overcome your shame, be part of a community so you could respond. Number two, there was an increased desire for prayer. It was the, the young person I'd see all of a sudden during the pandemic in the chapel every morning at 6 a.m., particularly adoration. It was just beautiful to see this. And with it, there came an increased desire to do God's will. But inevitably, what happens, and this is particularly for women that I saw, they get locked in. They feel that call, and they just, it's like, it's like, television. This is what the Lord is calling me to do. 
Now, hopefully they're working with someone to discern throughout the course of this, but they're not interested in dating as much anymore. This is what their heart's set upon. They feel the Lord is calling them to it. And without this, like if you go and you pray and you don't really feel it, then just go get married. But the real call, there's going to be this attraction, this pull, often very gentle, even though guys will often experience it as a command to follow. So, for priestly vocations, guys who either I could tell were called or would come to me, it's much easier. Just to be honest, that's how it goes. For every one hour I'd put in with a guy for direction, it's easy three for a girl. Easy three. But it's worth it, as we're going to see. And what with a guy, it's pretty simple. Sometimes they'll come to you, but you can usually approach a guy and say, hey, have you ever thought about the priesthood? You have the qualities that would make a good priest. And we go over the qualities, and they're usually like, yeah, I do. Sometimes they say, Father, I don't want to give up sex. And that's when I say, well, you know, okay, let's keep praying about it. But then sometimes they start thinking about it, you plant the seed, or sometimes they come to you and say, Father, I think I can do this. And they're usually ready to go more quickly. And the way I always said it is if you go online and you watch videos of people doing stupid things and pranks, 99% dudes. Because dudes don't think. That's why we get, that's why, that's why, you know, natural selection weeds us out pretty quickly. Because we all, you know, men don't think. Ladies, you know that. That's how it is sometimes. We just do it. So guile just rushing in. Preach over to it. Girls, not so much. There are hurdles, and I think interior shame is one of the big hurdles, but we'll sort of skip over that. Let's look at some success stories, and I've got a lot of success stories, and I'm so proud of these dudes. I love this picture. So Again, I was telling Father this. I'll, I'll, one year, 2012, we had a group of guys into the seminary, and then four of them went all the way through. Father Kyle White, Father Blake Brock, Father Andrew Schumacher, and Father Britt Smith all ordained on the same day in 2018, and one weekend in our parish, this is all for wisdom, we had four first masses. It was unbelievable. I mean, we had one massive party. And then I went to the beach for a week and didn't talk to anybody. Actually, Father Kyle came with me. We watched the, the World Cup. But at each one of these men, like these dudes had girlfriends. Several of them had jobs. They, like, he was a physician's assistant. He was about ready to get into a master's program for business. He was an athletic salesman, and Kyle was still a college student. But he was awesome. They all began to fill the call. So I'm going to tell a little story. First of all, Father Kyle White, big nerd. From Lafayette, graduated high school in Charlotte in 2019. So he was there when I got to Wisdom. And, you know, he said, Father, when I first met you, I thought, I heard these stories that you were so mean. And, 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 but then I realized you're kind of like William Wallace from Braveheart. You look really mean, but you're kind of a goofball. So I told Kyle, I said, Kyle, you have a vocation of the priesthood. I don't And then he goes to me. He didn't want to talk about it. And then, guess what Kyle started doing? He started dating Maddie Boudreaux from the slide before who ended up marrying Ben. And they were the wisdom couple, and they loved each other. And I just kept quiet 
until I got a phone call from Kyle saying, I have a call with the priesthood. And I said, yeah, okay, I told you that a couple years ago. Um, and I said, what are you going to do about Maddie? Oh, I'm on the way right now to tell her that I'm breaking up with her. I said, please be gentle. He came, he entered in 2012 to Mount St. Mary's and was ordained in the priesthood six years later uh, in 2018. And now he is killing it at the small parish in Northern Lafayette called St. Leo's. He's the chancellor of Turlings High School. And he he's awesome. He's unbelievable. His energy it's, I'm so happy with him. And look, during seminary, I mean, he loved the girls. He could have gotten a great job. He was, I think, marketing. But he, the call came. And so now he is this unbelievable priest. Another one we're going to highlight is Father Andy Schumacher. So he's from Crowley. He started graduating high school in 2008. Now remember, he was president of Kappa Sig the largest guys fraternity on campus who repeatedly would get kicked off for doing stupid things. Some of them very, very dangerous and should be get kicked off. He was the president. Listen, I'm telling you, Andrew, like this, scraping off the girls who wanted to date him all the time. He's so charming. He, and I, I remember, sit in the back of Max all the time. I was like, what is that dude doing back there? And I just had a sense. There was something. I get a sense sometimes. And he would start coming around and talking to me confession. There he is being a cool bro right there back in the early 2000s. And he started talking about priesthood. But he had, he had this beautiful girl. He was dating. And he just got accepted into the MBA program. And he could have made a killing. And he fought with it back and forth. Now, of course, his mom really wanted him to be uh, a priest and was praying for him. And it was in a Rome pilgrimage that we got him to go to. I remember we were sitting, eating some delicious artichokes, him and I, and talking about it. And he went to pray the Pope's tomb. He said, give me the shot. And he entered in 2012. And there were times when he thought he'd leave. But now he was ordained in 2018. He is a pastor and chaplain at the big high school in Lafayette, St. Thomas More, and is rocking it. Unbelievable. So proud of him and so happy. And, you know, I, I preached at his first Mass. I said, I gave a homily because I knew Andrew. I knew Andrew very well, and he's so well-liked. Well, he got, right before I left to come here, he got the call from the bishop to move to from the cathedral as the associate to the a small little parish in Mermintal, Louisiana. And he came to me, he's like, Father, I just got named chaplain of the high school. What am I doing? Why am I going to Mermintal? And I said, do you remember my homily that I preached at your first mass? He said, yeah, you said something. I can't remember what it was. He said, why don't you call your buddy and ask him? And he remembered what I told him. I said, I pray the Lord shatters your dreams. Dreams of what kind of priest you want to be. And guess what? He listens to me. You're going to go, and you're going to love these people, and you're going to be a good priest, and you don't deserve anything. And he did. And he's flocked to him, because he's such a charismatic person. But he's also just a good preacher and a good priest. So another great success story. And again, I could tell all the different stories. But what about looking at religious and consecrated women? That's a very specific type of vocation. Of course, a little more complicated to work with the women, but I loved it. I made the commitment back in 20, 
15, 20, 16, that whatever it took to help work with the women, I would. So as a result of the prayers of some of different sisters, I got a lot of young women who came and discern religious life. And the great thing is, all the guys who are priests now, who entered the seminary, guess how many pray for me? None. Because they're dudes. They don't remember. But these sisters are praying for me. So that means I'm going to suffer and maybe go to heaven one day. So there are different options. You can do, as I said, religious life. You can do consecrated virginity, even within religious life. There are actives, there's contemplatives, there are different options. But there still is this hesitancy. Women, they like their certainty. They want to not make a mistake. They, they, they struggle to, to leave family and friends. Priests, you got to kind of hang out. It's, it's much more difficult. you got to go live in a community. If you're a consecrated virgin, you don't have as much support as a diocesan priest does. There are challenges there. It's much harder for a woman to overcome that inherent trait to be a mom. And so also I find that a lot of times moms and dads are supportive when the guy wants to be a priest, but when it comes to the woman being a sister, they are not supportive. They can be jerks, which we'll get to it a little bit later on. But so my job was always to help them discern, to love them, but eventually to encourage them, you got to step out of the boat. And Father Jacques Philippe says, if you want to feel the top of the parachute, you have to jump out of the plane. You've got to jump out of the plane. And you're waiting for an answer. No, you've you got to step in a certain direction. Then the Lord is going to take you. And granted, there are other keys for helping women discern, but we are going to skip over those so we can tell some stories. Some of the sisters right now, I think of women that I've worked with, there are 19 who are currently still in religious life. We're going to highlight a few of them, a little smorgasbord. We're going to point some other things out too. So here, religious and consecrated vocations. Since 2010, over 30 women have begun pursuit of religious or consecrated life. And there are three of them. Now, I do, there are certain orders I really like to support. These are sisters who belong to an order traditionally known as the Servidoras. Order from Argentina, very popular around the world and America. In fact, we have parents of not just one, but two Servidoras, one active and one contemplative. The Casa de Bans right there. Do you all know the Casa de Bans? Look. They have been attending. Both of their daughters uh, are sisters. And so, little Servidoras today, we're going to talk about. These are not other sisters, but we're going to look at one of them. Of all, I love a lot of students, but the joy of my heart over my 11 years was this one right here. Everybody kind of knows it if you know me. Sister Mary, Mother of God. She is the one student who changed the lives of more people at UL than anyone I've ever met. Still today, her love, her kindness, her heart, unmatched. She drove me completely nuts when she was in college. So she graduated from high school in 2014. I remember the moment I met her in class. I'll tell this, I do tell the story. She was in high school. I went to speak at STM and we were, I was speaking to all the seniors. And after the class she was in, I went to the teacher and said, who's that girl over there? And I said, that's Elena Keith. And I said, that's the best girl in your high school. And she said, yes, father, it is. How do you know? I said, I, I just know. She better be going to UL. And she did. Now, she was a member of Kappa Delta. She was a sorority girl. A lot of the sorority girls into the convent. And she was all over the place. She wanted to date this boy. She wanted to do this. But everybody knew she belonged to the Lord. And then finally, after she 
graduated in December 2017, entered the Servidors in 2018. Now, her sister joined the Servidors again in 2022 and is still there. And she, in the years that she's been there, is now kind of like second in charge of formation and just doing such a wonderful job. Um, and just, she prays for me. I get to see her once or twice a year, but it's one of those things when, you know, you see somebody, you don't even need to talk. You just can, like, read each other's minds. Mother of God and I can read each other's minds. Look at that smile. That's really her all the time. Not all the time. She's, she's sad at times, but it's that joy and that love when you meet her and she looks into your soul. So sweet. Another one. Again, sorority girl, Katie. Graduated from high school in 2013. Now, she is a lot different. Her name is Allie before. Very, very quiet. Very quiet. In the background. But I just sensed there was something there, so I put her in touch with somebody. And she came back after a mission trip and said, Father, I think I have a vocation. I said, I agree with you. And we started like looking into contemplative orders. Um, she finally graduated in 2018, and really, before that, it was very, very quick to discern with the Sisters of Life. They're in New York City, and they're sisters who work with to stop abortion and to, to help women who are pregnant and in difficult situations. Um, she entered in 2018, took her first vows in 2021, and now she is Sister Maria Annunziata. And she is as wonderful and joyful as you see that smile all the time, and she really is constantly working with these women who are, are pregnant and, and maybe come from abusive relationships. And I get to go spend a week visiting with her this summer in New York, in Connecticut, actually. I can't wait, not only to see her, but it also will be 500 degrees because it's going to be in the middle of July. But so proud of her. She comes back once a year and sees her family, and we get a chance to visit. She was able to see my mom and visit with her right before she passed away. What a complete gift. What a complete gift. So there's Sister Maria Nanciana. The next one is our good friend, Caitlin Davis. Caitlin is from Mandeville. We stole her for Lafayette, sorry. She graduated from high school in 2011 and was like really on the periphery, didn't really get involved in wisdom. She was involved in the Assemblies of God, in fact, but started coming to Mass, and then all of a sudden, 2012, like just got on fire with the Lord. Became very, very close had this massive conversion and started really thinking about consecrated virginity. And since then, it was just locked on. And so walked with her. She graduated in 2015. She would organize mission trips to Alaska. She uh, is an athletic trainer and now works at St. Bernard Church in Grove Ridge. And this summer in June, will become a consecrated virgin in Lafayette. Very, very joyful person. Claire, you've met her, haven't you? Yeah, just a wonderful personality. So please pray for her. Again, it's, we're seeing this. It's a unique vocation where you are living in the world, and it's just you're a Marian presence in the world. And Caitlin, with that little smile, that was one of her vows she took. So happy with Caitlin uh, and, and her love. She just found out that they're going to be having this place that she went in Alaska to do a mission trip. Uh, is Now the Servidoras are there which is really funny if you want to really see crazy how it works. She did these mission trips in Alaska and prayed that the Servidors would go to Alaska. The Servidors went to Alaska, and Mother of God prayed. that She asked me to have a relic that I have of St. Therese because she's the patron saints of the missions, 
And that relic of mine is in Alaska. And Caitlin went and prayed in front of the relic and didn't even know it was my relic because it's in Alaska. And it all works together. Anyhow, the last one. Sister Rose of the Eucharist. She, her name was Briley. And she was a big nerd. She graduated from 2014. So these girls, all these girls except Caitlin are from the same high school. From STM. There have been seven girls, eight girls who've been in religious life from this high school. And, and, and Briley graduated uh, high school in 2014. Was very involved in UL, very quiet. Graduated in 2018. And was a second grade teacher. And coronavirus hit. Boom! And all of a sudden, she had time to pray. And she started really praying, not just saying prayers. And I have never seen a conversion like this. It was intense. It was immediate. She became a saint overnight. And then I knew there was something going on there. She started reading St. John of the Cross, Trees of Avila. Next thing you know, she's discerning with the Cloister Carmelites. And in 2021, she entered. And in December, she got her habit. And uh, in actually January of 2023, and now it's Sister Rose of the Eucharist. So she's cloistered. I'm going to see her. Um, and she's on her year, but she prays for me. Such a wonderful, joyful presence. And all these girls are best friends. They hang out and have coffee together. Talking about community. That's the thing. All of them, plus the other ones, they were friends. They all became sisters. Some of them got married, but most of them became sisters. It was the sense of belonging. And they were all my children who I loved dearly and who had a solid identity. They knew who they were, and they were able to respond. One last slide, just to sort of highlight this. We talked about focus. Not across the way, focus missionaries the way it works because of their giving their life over to the Lord tend to be more open to vocations. Uh, and a lot of times focused missionaries will marry each other and sometimes they'll go to priesthood or religious life. So all of these people here have been focused missionaries. She's one at UL right now. She's going to join the Servidoras this summer. Ashley is a UL student who went over to Old Miss as a focused missionary and married Tyler, who I married in this fall. Jenna Claire was the one who was engaged to be married, dumped her former engaged partner, and ended up marrying Roberto, who was a focus missionary and loved her for years. And they had this beautiful baby of Jay. There's James, like Andrew, all the ladies loving him a lot. He's a seminarian now. He was a focus missionary at UL. Uh, Yasmin and uh, Leonard, both of the focus missionaries. Yasmin was a soccer player of the year of the Sunbelt Conference. There are two beautiful, cute twins. Uh, JB and Kenny Ann, both missionaries at UL, sort of dating, got married. There is Sister Intercessor, who's a UL graduate, the craziest person that I've ever met at UL. Crazy, I mean, literally wild. She's from Paraguay. Tri-Delt, nuts. Pursued her for years, partying all the time had this conversion, and now she is with Mother of God, a formator. And then this goofball right here, Jessica, is also a focused missionary and just got proposed to, and I'm doing her wedding in December. So again, you support campus ministry, you support focus, you also support vocations. So let's conclude. It's a little longer, but then again, we started a little bit late. Hopefully, giving you some hope, 
how can other people help support vocations? First of all, pray. Pray for good vocations of priesthood and married life, religious life. Pray for good married vocations. We need people to pray. Number two, I misspelled that. It should be choose, not chose. Let them choose what they want to do. Do not manipulate them. Do not control them. Do not guilt trip them. Do not harass them. Let them choose. Hopefully, they're going to make the right decision. If not, it's the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. The damage that parents do in not supporting their kids is extensive. Please, please, particularly if they choose priests of religious life, let's support them and let the Lord do the rest. Live your vocation joyfully. Have good marriages. Be joyful. Give yourself to each other. Four, encourage discernment. Hey, have you ever thought about the priesthood? Don't necessarily tell a girl that. It's one of the things I learned. Tell the guy, hey, if you look at the priesthood, you make a good priest. You tell the girl that. You think I'm ugly? You think I can get married? Never, never, ever. I learned that. Don't ever tell a girl that you make a good nun. You'll never talk to her again. Just a little, should have put that in there. I'll highlight that. And then finally, I'll support campus ministry. Whether you support where you went, you want to support UL, support Focus. Because supporting campus ministry helps form identities, helps form community, and helps the vocations. And so, in conclusion, you know, how has this impacted me? Of my 23 years as a priest, oh, really without a doubt, the day that I remember the most and the proudest was the day of those four ordinations and, and those four first masses. Uh, again, most priests, maybe are lucky if they, on their years, get one guy into the seminary. But to have four guys in one day, I'll remember that to the day that I'm di- I die. I can be senile, and I'll still remember that amazing day and the big party we had afterwards. Um, number two, I mean, particularly, I love the guys, but the religious sisters. I love them to death. I'm a girl dad. That's how it works. I see them less, but I know they're praying for me. We write letters back and forth sometimes. That's why I, I think I'm going to get to heaven. They're praying for me, and I love to see them in the next life. And, you know, it's just, it's in my time there with the marriages, getting to be part of all these families and to to baptize their kids and to hang out with them and to see these good marriages. And sometimes when they struggle to to walk with them, I just got a phone call of someone who was having a miscarriage just two days ago that I married just a few months ago and just listening and talking to her on the phone, praying with her, getting her and her husband to get a blessing because they live out of state. You know, the good times and the bad. You're part of their lives. And this is what I say. And I'll conclude with this. Jesus could appear to me today and say, Father, I'm going to let you get out of your priesthood, get married, and learn your dreams. I'm going to give you those houses on the beach. I'm going to give you all the money. But you've got to give up all the students you worked with. You've got to give up all the young men the married couples, the women who are vocations, you can never talk to them again. I would not even take five seconds to say no. No! This idea that as a celibate, you just live a miserable life. Maybe some guys do. I have more children than you could possibly imagine. I have more joy than you could possibly imagine. And if you've met a lot of priests and religious the same way, with their parishioners, with their people they minister to. So it is a joyful life.
difficult at times, but I've been blessed to have a lot of fruit, a lot more fruit than a lot of priests get in all their life. And I look forward to continue working with them. And even those who I don't necessarily, we're not at college, that I still get to know and love, it's just a tremendous blessing. So there's great hope. I thank y'all for coming. Why don't we close with glory be, and then I'll let Father make his last comments. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Through the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.